We have been calling this series that we've been going through in the book of Acts, Unstoppable. And the wave image that you see on the screen is one that kind of takes me back to when I was about six years old going to the beach. I think it was in Hawaii on the, um, in, in a, an amazing beach and, and just deciding that I could stand up to the waves, right? So I got my, my, my feet dug into the sand and just ready for it. And then the next thing I could taste was the, the sand in my mouth, right? Because I, there was no chance that I was going to be able to stop that wave, Right? And what happened in the early church as the church was born is that the church grew in such a way that there were all kinds of things that attempted to stop the movement of the church. There were individuals who persecuted it. Last week we saw the, the, the Saul, the story of Saul before he would become the apostle Paul where he was ravaging the church is the way it was described. There, there, were, there was religious persecution. There were those who who said that this thing would never take, that this was something that was completely under attack. But what we see in the book of Acts, it's so encouraging to me, even in the time period that we're in thousands of years later, as we see that they were trying to figure out how to do church. And what, what they found out was that if God's in it, that it's going to continue to move forward. And, and so as a church today, I'm going to invite you to join us in celebrating the fact that this is God's church. It was never um, the name of any pastor on the, on the sign outside that, that this was their church, or even the people who fill those seats normally, that, that this is a church that we've aspired to represent the love of Christ to a world that desperately needs it. And I'm delighted by the fact that I get to watch God be at work and this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see a story unfold of a man who was tempted after he had become a believer to go back to the ways that he used to know, the familiar things, the things that were normal for him. And I want to encourage you as you go through this study together with me in Acts chapter 8, that, that as we watch this unfold, that we allow ourselves to evaluate in our own lives, what are the things that I'm tempted to go back to? The, the word repentance is really prevalent in this passage of scripture. And, and I want to remind you today that repentance is not just, just a turning around, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to change my course that I'm headed in, but it, it begins with the changing of your mind, that, that you think differently about what you're experiencing. And, and here we're going to see this story of a man, Simon, he's known as Simon the Sorcerer, was a man who had been a very popular person in Samaria at that time. He was a celebrity of that time. He was influential. Everybody knew his name. Everybody wanted to be around this man. He had great power. In fact, he loved his power so much that people gave him the attributes. They said he had some of the attributes of God, and he didn't deny that. He, he loved being in the center of the limelight. But what we're going to see is the story of this man who was convicted. He believes in Christ, and then as he's moving forward, he starts to see this power of God at work, and he wants to revert back to something that has the potential of destroying him. But what we see is that it ends with a message of him saying, I'm going to change my mind. Changing your mind is difficult, isn't it? I love this story. There was a story that came out a couple weeks ago about a woman who about 30 years ago in England, she went to a thrift store and she bought a piece of costume jewelry that it was like $15 is what she said. And she just loved this ring. It was a giant ring and she wore it everywhere. The next 30 years, this piece of $15 jewelry traveled with her everywhere that she went. And she was in, in, the, in a place where there was a jeweler close by and he sees this ring on her hand and he says, I don't think you know what you have on your hand. 
And he looks at it closely and he found out that she was wearing a 26.27 carat white diamond. That she had been carrying this around thinking it was a $15, or a $15 piece of jewelry. And it was appraised at over $500,000, right? You know, we, we often think that things are real, right? And then we find out that they're fake. In this case, she thought that this was fake and she found out that this was something real. You know what scares me a little bit about Christianity today is that we're told in God's word that there is a deceiver, a deceiver that wants to, it says in God's word, that he wants to steal, to kill, and to devour. And I think for some of us, we have this kind of cartoonist cartoonish impression of the deceiver, that he's got his pitchfork and he's dressed in red and he's, he's, he's kind of a joke, right? That he's, he, he's almost this mythological character. And, and the reality is, is that we're told by Peter that he is searching the world like a lion seeking whom he might devour, that he wants to destroy you. And as a Christ follower, he will do everything in his arsenal. I'm going to share with you over a dozen of his dirty deeds that he loves to do in our lives to tempt us, to push us away. In fact, as we listen to the things that, that he has in his, in his toolbox to attack you as a Christ follower, one of the things that we're going to see, things that are so prevalent today, like discouragement, accusations, lies, getting in the way of what God wants to do, just, just these, these statements that you look at him in scripture and you see, he wants to destroy you. And here, what we see from Simon is a man who's exposed to the gospel like the people in Samaria were. And, and what we are told in the verses before last week, we saw this, when the gospel came to Samaria, there was a three-letter word that radiated out of that place, and it was joy. That people went from death to life, that they heard the gospel, even a rejected group of people that were despised, that at this moment, they hear the gospel, they receive it with joy. And that's the environment that we pick up in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 9, where we see a man who changes his perspective. And I hope in the minutes that we get to share together today, that you, like me, as we study these verses together, will be willing to look at your own life. And you'll be willing to say, maybe, just maybe, I find myself on a path that isn't leading to life. Maybe, just maybe, there's some decisions that I've allowed to creep into my life that have made patterns that have the potential of causing great pain in my life, that we must not ignore those things. If we do, it's possible that they will destroy us. And that's what we're going to see from the disciples in their response to Simon's sin. It says this in verse 9, now there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. This is, this is every age group in that time period. They knew this guy's name and he did some pretty amazing things. It's important that we don't think of this as rabbits out of a hat kind of magic, but, but think of this more like a witch doctor type thing. Like he's, he's actually practicing probably occult type things that carry with them some really scary and dangerous things associated with them. And so here, the way the text says it, it says this man, the people around him, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So here he is, a man 
who's doing some things that people on the outside are so impressed by that they call him as if he were a god. He'd influence them. He had great influence in their life. And, and I can't help but think about the deceiver, that, that he knows our hearts in some ways. He's not omniscient, but he watches us. He is aware of the, the things that are temptations for us in our life. And here, what he did when we go back in time to when the Lord Jesus was tempted, in that case, he knew that Jesus was hungry and he tempted Jesus to to, to do a miracle, to, to feed himself. And then he tempted Jesus to look at the kingdoms of the world and to, to offer them to him. And then he tempted him to jump off of a, a great building, to throw himself down and to do this spectacle to be seen. That, that Satan knew what Jesus was going through. And he actually knew the story that was going to unfold in front of him, I believe. And he wanted to do everything in his power to influence Jesus away from succeeding in the mission that God had given him. It's important for us to accept that Satan has power, but that power, now catch this, church, but that power is an empty counterfeit. That he's really good at, at showing his power, but then paling, allowing that power to pale in comparison to what God's doing. That's actually what is neat about the text, that Simon sees this power, and he's going to go, oh, I've experienced this other thing, but, but I want the real thing. It's really interesting to see it in the text. So Satan has power, but that power is a counterfeit and it pales in comparison to the power of God. Simon even noticed that fact for himself. Verse, verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So he was the biggest thing going. And then the gospel comes in through this humble man, Philip, and he shares the gospel that the Lord Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we do not have to. And that message was so powerful that in Samaria, the gospel radiated in people's lives and people were filled with joy, so filled with joy that they were baptized immediately and God's at work. Philip says on the outside, I want that. But it's essential for us to recognize the first point this morning is that Satan does have power, but God's power is far greater. You guys, that, that's worth saying amen to. That, that Satan has power, but God's power is far greater. The enemy's power cannot and will not stand up to the power of God. I spent some time this week just thinking about scripture and what it teaches about Satan's power. And, and I want you to think about some of the events that had happened, times when the disciples said that they couldn't go to a place because Satan was in, they inhibited their ability to travel, or other times when he accuses. You think of the Garden of Eden, when here they have perfect fellowship with God, and, and his question is, can you really trust God you think of all these times in history, and I want you to think of these, these 12 things that Satan has proven to. You could probably double this or triple this, but these are some of the things that we see in Satan's dirty deeds that he has the skill to do. He opposes God's faithful. He tempts. He fills us with evil thoughts. He disrupts. He distracts. He intimidates. He seduces. He sows doubt he leads us to depression. He criticizes. He lies. And probably one of his most prominent attributes is he accuses. Think about how clever he is. He's the very one that tempts you to do something. And then once you do it, he's the first one to go, hey, 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 hey. 
Look at them, right? That's just who he is. He's the father of lies. And I think that for some of us, we stand outside of this. And as Christ followers, there's wonderful promises to the believer that we are not a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness for his name's sake. We are forgiven and set free. We have great authority. But does that mean that Satan can't still have some space in our life? Oh, absolutely. If we give it to him, if we secede space in our lives to him, he'll take it. And he'll continue to do damage in our lives. I, I uh, watched with my, my girls recently a movie that I think it came out in the 90s called The Ghost in the Darkness. Anybody see this movie? Uh, is a Val Kilmer and it's a, a story that as you watch it, it's one of those things that as you watch it, it's just, it feels like it's over the top. There's these two lions as they were building a bridge in 1898, these two lions that terrorized a crew, a construction crew that was building a, a bridge across the Savo River in Africa. And you watch it and you, you just see this relentless, just constant attack. It's tragic, it's bloody, it's, it's a nightmare. And, and as, you, as you watch it, you just think, this could never have happened. And then you hear about the story that these lions existed, that they estimate um, that it was between 35 to 135 lives that were lost in this window of time period as they were building this bridge. So much so that they shot them finally. They stuffed them. And you can go to the Field Museum in Chicago and see these lions. And uh, you, you look at this story and you, you can imagine for a minute as they're building this bridge that it would have been possible, I suppose, that people tried to ignore them. Uh, you know, business as usual. Let's just press on. Let's just keep moving forward. I can't imagine that the lions would like anything but the fact that they were ignored so that they can continue to wreak havoc. And I, I think that that's the way it works with Satan. Somebody said this well one time. They said, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that it, he does not exist. And I think that for, for us, when we sit down at God's word and we study it, 1 Peter 5.8 says this. It says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, do you remember what it says? To devour. The, the thought that the deceiver wants to destroy you, he wants to destroy your joy, he wants to destroy your effectiveness for the kingdom. He wants to pull you away from the God of the universe and giving him the glory that he deserves. Do you remember my list of the 12 deeds? The, the, the discouragement, the disappointment, the, the accusation. Doesn't that just sound like the world that you and I live in today? Doesn't it? It just feels like the, there's these things that are so prominent today. And we've been warned in scripture that there's going to be a day when the deceiver is prowling like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's a great phrase, uh, Solomon says this in the book Song of Solomon. He says that there's, there's foxes that wanna creep in and to destroy the vineyard of our lives. That, that image is an interesting language. In, in Northeast Ohio, um, can you see the fox in there? You guys are looking close, so the screen's kinda hard to see him, but kinda cool how he is hidden in there. That phrase, when Solomon said that, he was talking about their marriage relationship. And I, I want to remind you, church, today that the deceiver loves to sell his cheap counterfeits in our lives and to see us ignoring the fact that he not only exists, 
but that he's wreaking havoc in our lives. He says, destroy the vineyard. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't have many foxes in our, my garden, but in Northeast Ohio, we definitely have deer, right? And, and I'm super impressed with some of the strategies that people use in Northeast Ohio to deal with the deer. We went over to some friend's house a couple years ago, and they had a, 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 like an automated sprinkler system that was on, set on attack mode, you know? And so as Ali and I walked out, up to the door, it was, um, I don't know which one it was. I, was. I was laughing at the different names of these things. There's all these different um, things. There's the, the yard enforcer, the scarecrow, the spray away. Uh, but these are all versions of a... A, um, a security system that's designed to protect your garden. Church, I want to remind you today that, that for some of us, our walls on our garden are down, that we are exposed right now. We are open for business to let the deceiver do whatever he wants in our lives. And part of that is because we've chosen to ignore that he exists, that he has power, that he's at work in the world that we live in. But thankfully, the fact that he exists, he exists does not hold up to the power of God. Did you notice the message that Philip was preaching? That Philip was, it's described in, that, in those verses that he was preaching a message of the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. That name is the only way that a person goes from being a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. That he's giving them the keys to overcome the temptations of the deceiver. And here we see it taking root in the name of Jesus Christ. There's this movement. People are coming to Christ. They're being baptized and God is on the move. In fact, one of those people that got caught up in this was this man, Simon. He hears the gospel. It says in the text that he believed it. He gets baptized. And so you get this great story. It's awesome. It's just like so many other men and women of all ages coming to Christ. But the problem is, is that then he finds himself tempted to go back to a time in his life that he'd experienced before, to return to something that was familiar to him. The second point this morning that comes from the text is the temptation to retreat in our faith is very real. We see this all the time these days. Whether it is through discouragement, whether it's through temptation, whether it is giving in to one of the many enemies that, that cause us to struggle in our lives, what we see is there's a temptation for us to retreat in our faith. Verse 13 says this, even Simon himself believed. You guys, that would have been front page news. This guy was so significant in Samaria at the time. He was a celebrity conversion and he comes to Christ. He, he's baptized and it says that he continued with Philip, that, that many believe he was a disciple of Philip. He's following this man, Philip, who was a disciple of Christ. And so now this, this man is, is, is working to be a part of this new church that's established in Samaria. And it says this, um, at the end of verse 13, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed, just like everybody else. Now, verse 14 marks a little change as to what was happening in the church at this time. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and who prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Now, for some of you go, that sounds weird. Well, it's because it was weird. At this time in history, as the Lord was establishing the church, we believe that God wanted to have a unified church, not that there was going to be a church of Jerusalem and then a church of Samaria. But in order to unify the church, the, the transfer of the Holy Spirit was done in a different way for a short time in history, where it involved the laying on of hands of the disciples. Now, when you and I became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, what God's word teaches us is that at the point of regeneration, when we become a Christ follower, we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and we're so grateful for the way that God continues to work, to work through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in this time period, God uniquely used the hands of the apostles to transfer this power in a unique way, kind of like oh, the fact that you and I have an experience physically the experience that they had in Pentecost in the early chapters of the book of Acts. But what we experience is the blessing and fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 17, Now they had laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, now this is where the temptation comes in. Before, he was a man who loved the spectacle. He loved to be the conduit of people celebrating and, and seeing. Remember, he was a guy who allowed people to say that he was like a God and that he didn't stop them from saying it. And so now we see the temptation. The temptation is to say, oh, I, I want that power. I, I, I want that power for me. And so he confused this power that was a gift from God that you can't put a monetary value upon. He confuses it with something that he could use to manipulate people with. So it says, now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This, this was a shocker for them. In fact, the disciples, the way that they choose to respond to it, some have criticized them, like, did they miss out that he was a fraud from the beginning? But I like the way Matthew Henry puts it. He says, it's God's prerogative to know the heart. The church and its ministers must go by a judgment of charity. We must hope the best as long as we can. So here, this, this celebrity conversion, he, he seems to be reverting into an old way for him. Church, I want to remind you about the three temptations that are common to all of us. One of the temptations that's common to every human being that has ever walked the earth is the temptation to conform to the pattern of this world. The world is all around us. It's constantly reminding us of a, how, what it means for us to fit into a world that's broken. And the world has its level of temptation for us. Our, our flesh the part of us that has appetites, that desire to be fed in such a way sometimes that honor God and often dishonors God. The, the flesh is a very real part of us that we don't always need Satan to be the one who's tempting us, but it can just come from what's inside of us. But the third, the devil, is one that is a very real source of temptation in our life, whether it's Satan himself or demonic influence. We don't ever we very rarely understand where the source of these temptations are, but that does not make them any more real. So here, Simon experiences this temptation. It could have been from the flesh. It could have been from his experiences. It could have been demonic. But, but he was tempted to kind of become a religious racketeer, a, a person who seeks God's blessing so that he could give it to someone else. James Denny, the Scottish preacher, says, we cannot at one and the same time show that we are clever 
and that Christ is wonderful. In other words, Simon, what he wanted to do was not even possible, right? To, to have it so he could give it. You know, in the church world, I've experienced this a couple of times where I had a family call me one time because they had had a crisis in their home. Someone had lost their life in their home, a family member, and they, they called me up to ask me to come to their home because of some of the sounds and things that they were hearing. It was really concerning for them. And so I uh, agreed, we agreed on a time and, and right before I came over, they called and they said, hey, uh, Pastor Sean, how much is this going to cost? And so I said, a million dollars. And then I went over to their, oh, you guys are asleep. That's terrible. So no, I, I said, oh, you know, there, there's no cost associated with it. But do you, do you understand what they were thinking, right? Is that they were, they were thinking that this, this spiritual service that I was about to do was, was somehow connected to a, a paycheck, right? Or how it was paid for. And actually what we did, it was awesome. What we did was that we went into this house and, and I have no idea what was going on inside that home. But what we did was we took some time and we prayed in the name of, of the Lord Jesus. And we prayed over this home and we spent time together reading scripture together. And then after I had led them through this, I said, you know what's awesome is that what I understand in the book of Hebrews and the priesthood of believers is that you have all the same authority and power that I have. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can pray the same kind of prayers that I can pray. And this isn't about me doing something transactional with you, but actually it's about me reminding you of who you already are, that you've already won this fight, right? And that you get to experience the power of God to have victory in this situation. It was an awesome experience. And I didn't send them a bill, I promise. But, but you, you think about it and you think that historically there have been individuals who have misused the pulpit, that misused the experiences that they'd had in their life to become some version of a religious racketeer. I don't know if any of you paint. I like to paint and I grew up painting houses with my father. And um, some of you may notice when you paint, after you clean up, especially if it's latex, you, you think you get it all. And it's always for me that my elbow, where I always miss that little spot of paint that's still stuck on there, right? Nope, none of you have experienced it. I've experienced this so many times. You, you think you clean yourself up, but there's still a spot that you missed. And I think for Simon, at this point, what, what happened, the, the combination of the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, something that shouldn't shock any of us, something we all go through at some level, is that, that he's tempted to take this power, that power that was designed to bring glory and honor to the Lord, and to use it for his own glory, for his own strength, for his own experience. And, and the response of the disciples is perhaps one of the most helpful things that you can see in this, this passage this morning. And that is their response was one that was extremely intense and I think extremely helpful is that they look at this and they respond back in a way that says, we have to deal with this now. I, I like the way that Richard Belden Rackham puts it. He says, as the counterfeit of the true, false prophets were among the most dangerous enemies of Christianity. And the distinction between the true and the false, between religion and spiritualism, had to be sharply drawn once and for all. So, so here, what the disciples do, which leads us to the third point, one that I say so many times, I've said it so many times in this pulpit, I'll keep saying it, and that is when it comes to repentance, the disciples are going to call him to repentance, 
And they're going to basically understand that we do not know how long we will be given to repent. For some of us, we take tomorrow for granted. We take where we're going to go this afternoon for granted. Even biblically, I think we've been reminded of this, that the Lord says, don't say you're going to go do something next week, but instead say, Lord willing, because he wants us to remind, remember that, that this life that we experience is very, very temporary. And here what the disciples say back to him uh, after this is, is actually they respond intensely to his intense failure. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money you have neither part nor lot in this matter. It's a legal term. You got nothing to do with this for your heart is not right before God. Those guys called a spade a spade. They, they said it really bluntly, like, dude, this is scary. Now, do you know what they had in their memory when they said this? Was that they had in their memory the experience of Ananias and Sapphira, a couple who wanted to look more spiritual than they were. They wanted the glory of God to be put down upon them because of their sacrificial giving. And they watched in front of them. Peter watched with his own eyes these people be, be, be sentenced a death sentence because of their sin. And I think that in the back of their mind, they're going, oh, dude, Simon, you do not want to mess with this. Like, this is serious. Take this really serious. It's time for you to repent right now. When he says, may your silver perish with you, Peter told him he could take his magic to the grave. And you know what I mean by that. He's saying, you can, you can take it with you. It's, it's going to die with you. It's, you can take it to the grave. As Peter may, has said to him in verse 20, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Verse 22, repent therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. You know what he says there at the end? He says that you are swallowing poison and you have a chain shackled around your leg, that you're stuck, that your sin is destroying you, you know, the deceiver and his complexity, he's so good at tempting us with counterfeits that he wants us to forget the fact that they're actually destroying us in the process. I think one of the common ones today is pornography. Some of you know that I had the privilege of serving as a marriage and family pastor and, and in that process had the privilege of sitting down with families who were establishing their marriages and then seeing them work through the process of seeing their marriages thrive. And so often what I'd see happen in, in a crisis moment in a family is that one of the two members of, the, of a marriage would, would buy into a lie that's so common in our world today that, that the, the myth of pornography is something that it offers instant pleasure. It's no strings attached. It's something that for some on the outside, it has this, this great attraction. But all the while, what it was doing was that it's destroying the very fabric of real relationship, the most precious thing. So in other words, for something that's temporal, for something that, that really gives no benefit whatsoever, what it's doing is it's wreaking havoc on the thing that's so precious. He's in the business of counterfeits, right? That's what Satan does. 
And so here what we see is the, that they respond in this way. They're like, hey, this is going to destroy you. And the way that they responded in turn, they use these words, repent. Remember that means turn. They call it wicked. And they say, pray, pray to the Lord that he will allow you to, to repent. I, I think the image of Ananias and Sapphira would have been right in front of them, uh, being afraid of the fact that, or fearing the fact that God can judge us in that way. In other words, don't wait till tomorrow to take this seriously. Church, I say the same thing to you. Don't wait till tomorrow to take this seriously. I'm speaking to myself today as well. That those things that you've allowed to creep into your life that have the potential of doing great disruption to the things that are most precious to you, that tomorrow is not the day to address them. When I was traveling, when I was younger, when I was just learning to drive, actually, I had the privilege with my family to drive across the country to Colorado. We were going on a skiing trip. It was before I was married with my parents um, traveling across the country, and I had the late shift drive. And we were driving closer to Colorado in some very boring roads. It was about three in the morning, and we were on a four-lane highway. So it was two lanes going west and two lanes going east, and I, we were going westbound. And I was in the slow lane. The speed limit was 70 miles per hour. Um, I may confess to you that I might not have been going 70 miles per hour. I was moving along. And off in the distance, I saw a pair of headlights. And so hadn't seen anybody for a while. And I see them coming pretty quickly towards me. What I did not realize until they came very close is that they were not on the opposite side of the highway, but they were actually on my side of the highway. And they were going as fast as I was. And there's just this moment as they go flying by. I mean, obviously 160 miles, you know, we're just zooming right past each other. There's just this moment where you just, you just realize like we just dodged a bullet. That could have been tragic. But, but right after that, you know what I did after that was that we called 911. And, and, and the reason why we did that was because we realized that that car, the ending potentially of that car was going to be bad. It's not easy to get on a highway in the wrong direction. Who knows how he was going to get off of it? And he needed help to get off of that. And for some of us in this room today, the role that the disciples played for Simon was actually very compassionate towards him. And for some of us, we watch family members, we watch people that we love, that we, we know they are full speed ahead, heading towards something that could destroy them. And for some reason in our culture, one of the temptations of our culture is to say that, that it's inappropriate for us to try to help. And, and I want to challenge you. When I look at this with the disciples, when I understand the truth of the gospel, think of those two words that they were saying about Simon. They were saying that he was a slave, he was chained, and that he was drinking poison. And, and I think of that with the people that are around me, and I think for some of, of the people that I love, or for some, for some of the people that love me, that there's a moment in this when it's appropriate for us to surround them and to say, hey, I love you. And I think that the path you're on is leading you to potentially destroy you. Did you see what it said in the text? It said, the bond of iniquity. It is my conviction biblically that sin always separates. It always enslaves Simon's sin was a poison in a chain. Verse 24 is awesome, the way that it closes out here. It says, and Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you had said, have said, may come upon me. Verse 25, now when 
They had testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages and Samaritans. So this man, through the work of the gospel, had been forgiven. This moment in his history, he had not been set free. What God needed to do was a work in his life. You know what grieves me? Uh, is that for some people, you've heard this story, when they become a Christ follower, that they, if they had a previous addiction in their life or a struggle that they'd had, when they became a Christ follower, you'll hear it sometimes where they'll say, never had an appetite to do that thing again. Sometimes they'll say, I was a you know, heavy drinker, I became a Christ follower, and then I never drank again. I know that that's a story for some people. I'll, I'll speak from my own experience and from what I've observed is that often I have observed that those things that were a temptation in the past, even through the work of the gospel, are still areas of temptation for a person. They're a part of their story. And the the deceiver who knows us, who's more effective than those deer at trying to get to your garden, that the deceiver knows you and he's pursuing you and he'll use all kinds of lines of attack. In this case, he chooses to use a temptation that was a part of Simon's history to be a source of great temptation for him. And Simon started to give in to it. And I want to challenge you, each one of us today, to consider the fact that when it comes to our temptations, that we don't have to give any space for Satan in our life. We don't have to give him room to dwell in the world that we live in. In fact, we can choose through the work of God to allow ourselves to function within the fullness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what God has done on our behalf. But for those of us who are tempted to retreat back, I want to remind you of something that's so helpful. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says this, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In other words, you are on the winning team. And so church, I'm going to ask you to join me today as we search our hearts. King David says this, and I think it's a very helpful thing. He says, search my heart and know me. Know if there's any wayward thing within me. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads together with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And and we're going to do a little bit of a heart check together. Father God, we love you. And I just want to thank you and praise you for your word. I want to thank you for the history of this man. We don't know his story completely, but what we know is of these verses that we got to see that the disciples that surrounded him took this sin extremely seriously. And I just want to begin uh, with myself this, this morning in front of this group of people to say, Lord, would you search my heart and know me? And as you do that, Lord, I know that there are things that that come from, whether it's the temptations of the world, the temptations of my flesh, or spiritual temptations that come from the deceiver that wants to steal, to kill, and to devour. Lord, we just know that those, those are always things that surround the life of a believer. But Lord, I just thank you and praise you that that verse goes on to say in John 10, 10, that I have come that you might have a life and that you might have it abundantly. Lord, to me, that means that the poison of sin that leads to death, the shackles of sin that enslave us, Lord, that those are set free through the work of the gospel. And I just pray for each and every person that's here that has felt the sting of that pain of being stuck 
in their sin, Lord, that you would set them free, that your grace would be sufficient for them, your power would be made perfect in their weakness. And Lord, I pray for each one of us today that stands on the outside of people that we love, some of which that we've watched them suffer at their own hand because of the decisions that they made. Lord, would you teach us? Would you show us a way to love them well, like the disciples did for Simon, that they chose to intervene in such a way that I hope led to life for that man in history. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. You promise us that it will not return void. And I pray that you who began a good work in us would continue to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.